That's good. <laughs> Those are the audio. That's the audio. Okay, so we're a go. We're a go. Okay, even I'm nervous. Ah! Oh my god. Why? Okay, we're gonna get into it. I feel like a radio DJ a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when we're like nothing but the hits. Nothing, nothing but the hits. <laughs> nothing but the nothing hits. but the motherfucking hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm nervous. Like this is my job at this point. Hello everyone and welcome to Time For Us with me, Danny Wallace. Today's guest is Marcel van der Mava, an absolutely gorgeous specimen of a human being and he's not bad looking either. Not only is he an incredibly talented model, but he's also a genuinely captivating individual. Marcel's journey in the modeling industry began at the young age of 17, and since then, he has made waves in the industry, working with renowned brands and spending his 20s based in Europe. He has truly established himself as one of the few consistent models in our ever-changing industry with an impressive career spanning almost 16 years. So I just wanted to add on to this. Like, I decided to... I, Google, I Googled you. Oh, no. I googled myself and Amava. How many air shots did you male. get? Male. I know. I got. I was like myself and Amava. There's obviously a rugby player, but I was like male model. And then I was scrolling through the Google search, and I saw this one specific link that caught my attention, and it said, "It said lady boner, anyone?" Question oh mark. And then it said myself and Amava, and I was like, "Wow, this is very interesting." So I clicked on it. It's probably my mom, so it's fine. <laughs> no, it's like, it was this reddit.com page and it was this picture of you. You were kind of like draped in this like blanky, like tartan thing. Oh like my God, your, I remember that. You know, there's like ripped yeah. abs, like, like kind of your hands kind of covering your crotch. No, it was a fucking hot picture, but I just thought I had to throw that in there. So Yeah, that shoot was so hardcore because we were shooting in a warehouse and you're really wearing nothing underneath there and the entire crew was a bunch of straight guys so after the first shot we all looked at each other and we were like maybe this is more hectic than we thought it was gonna be like, let's go buy three bottles of champagne and finish that before <laughs> the rest of the shoot continues well that picture stood the test of time and i'm gonna get back into your intro that's just a, this is just a sidebar just by the way, the, the intro continues. Oh my God, I should have you write my CV. <laughs> I know, you should. Okay, currently, Marcel serves as a booking agent and handles model management at Outlaws Modeling Agency. His expertise extends to imaging, portfolios, model development, and international relations. He's an incredible fashion photographer. You've, you and I have shot together twice, mm -hmm. and... Probably the pictures that have come out of those shoots have been some of the favorite pictures I've ever seen of myself. Thank you. Yeah, like really, oh really, God. really beautiful. And for anyone who's wondering, the logo or the image of Time For Us was actually shot by Marcel. Yeah, we're going to talk about those royalties later. Like, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. As someone lucky enough to spend time with him, here's what I can say. You never feel inferior in his presence. He makes you feel a level of comfort and you have a way of saying things in like this unfiltered tone that when I was sitting and thinking of you and how I feel around you, I was like, in a weird way, I, you kind of remind me of like a, like a granny, like a, like a familiar maternal, like old wise soul, but in an extremely hot man's body. 
don't no don't comment this is just <laughs> <laughs> Marcel's cocking his head so I just started being like I don't understand is it so, the gray in my beard no <laughs> <laughs> he's top of my deep chats drinking wine and smoking Siggy's list mm-hmm. and thank you for scouting me that one time at Shimmy Beach or Cabo whatever oh it's called God, over a year ago it's a total fucking vibe having you in my life and welcome. Thank so. you. Wow. What an intro. <laughs> That's the intro, baby. Doom, 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 doom. This is where the intro starts. This is where the music, actually the music would have been playing for a while now, but I just wanted to make you feel welcome. So this thank is you. it. Yeah. Thank you for making the time to be here, making the time for us. Okay. So I've given you a bit of an introduction and I think in general, our conversation is going to touch on like the modeling and fashion industry. Sure which is your area of expertise, as we've mm-hmm. very clearly outlaid. And we have some specific topics we'd like to discuss. But before that, I would love for you to give us some insights into your modeling journey. Like, how were you scouted? Just give us some, give us some stories. Hmm. Scouting, I think, is one of those really typical stories where I had a really big um, speech impediment when I was in high school. So my parents enrolled me into modeling school, which kind of forces you to learn the habit of um, really thinking about what you say before you do and learning how to breathe throughout your sentences. Um, So throughout the modeling school journey, it was really fine. And then there was a competition that they ran in in collab with an overseas company called, I think it was called New Face. So a friend of mine entered, we went together, and then they entered me into the competition on the day, and I ended up winning the competition, and I got scouted by an agent there. Wow. And then it was such a crazy story, because it was an agency called, I think, Race Model Management at the time. They were based in New York, and it was a completely female agency, and then there my face was on some fucking Samsung flip phone images, and that was my first portfolio was six images from a Samsung phone. And then I think it was about a month or two later, I was sitting in Milan and everything just went from there. 17. 17. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how my parents allowed that. It is insane to have your child go abroad at 17 and then come back. And then I went again twice during my... I went twice when I was 18. So it was during my final year and then the day after my final exam. I flew as well. Crazy. And then never looked back. I never looked back, baby. I was like, get me out of this town (laughs) immediately. And did you, did you want to be a model, even though you were scouted? I understand that, I guess, in a weird way, the opportunity was more than presented upon you. But I feel like often at that age from models that I have chatted to, it's kind of like thrust upon you. Yeah. You can kind of like, we decide that you're going to be a model and like, like this whole world opens up to you. How did you feel about it? Not impressed. Um, I went, had a ball. It was amazing, but I was still not fully sold on it. Um, so I came back and then after school, I wanted to join the Navy. Came down to Cape Town and went for sign up and everything went fine, except for the last test they give you is an eye test. Oh no. And it turned out I was colorblind. Oh, really? And they were like, not my boy. Like, <laughs> You're not joining the Navy colorblind. So I was like, let me go back to Milan. Oh, wow. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. But fashion was a thing that happened upon me during school. And then after school, I wanted to exit, like I said, into the Navy. And then I was like, okay, well, what are my options now? You know? 
So earlier you said that because of your speech impediment, when you were in school, you went into like a public like modeling program. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because the thing is, as you go through competition, as you get to top five, you get to the point of them asking you questions. So that was the point that they kind of wanted me to get to because that's when you would have to stand on a stage and they ask you all kinds of questions that has nothing to do with the 17 year old stuff mm. like what do you think about social equity within north africa and you're like, it's like pageantry in a weird way i don't know very that so it kind of forces you to like take a step back and breathe and just be like what am what do i want to say and that helps a lot within at least my speech impediment. That helps a lot. So every now and again, I have like a flashback to it, but it's helped a lot. I'm so impressed to hear that because in my opinion or my experience of you has always been that you're so well articulate, especially for someone who's Afrikaans. Like, Very. Yeah. yeah, like more than just being good at speaking English and being able to throw words around where, when we're in conversation, I think. Hmm, like that's an interesting word. I haven't heard that in a while. You know, like on top of that, you're Afrikaans <laughs> and apparently you had a speech impediment. I'm so Afrikaans. I'm going to be so horrified when I listen to this and hear my accent. <laughs> okay, so when you said that they wanted you to do this uh, modeling kind of boot camp thing, was it your parents? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because they were like kind of at the point of not knowing what to do anymore because it was to the point of when I was in high school and the teacher would ask me a question, I would get so nervous I wouldn't know how to answer them back that I would just start stuttering the entire time that it, it would just be silence. Like one of my first agents was an agency in Johannesburg and before I signed with them, I would phone them all the time and then just be silent on the phone once they say hi this is so and so from so and so modeling agency um that they would put down the phone and it made me sign with a different company and years later i did sign with this place eventually and we rehashed the story to each other and she said to me they had their phone lines replaced because they thought there was something wrong with it because for so long they would get to work and then the phone would ring and then there would be silence on the phone. And meantime, it's me trying to arrange an appointment with them. But I would be stuttering on the other end without being able to get a word out. I find that so fascinating, especially considering how it's that experience that you underwent is like baptism of fire. Like that yeah. can either fucking scar you for the rest of your life to the point that you're like, I'm never <laughs> speaking again. Like it actually made Marcel a mute. <laughs> we thought it would work, but he, he can't speak anymore. He has like a, a cokey and a whiteboard around his neck. You yeah. know, like it could have been that bad. Exactly. I can't believe that you, like how, did you feel yourself evolving in the process? Did you learn to trust yourself? Like how did that evolution happen? Because it sounds like quite an extreme change. It's hectic, but I've always been quite the deep end kind of person you know mm -hmm. like just jump into something and figure out along the way what the hell you're supposed to do mm. like no one else knows you don't know what you're doing if you don't tell them um so that's always been like that where i just go oh, oh. let's see <laughs> oh, it worked out for me <laughs> on the notes of like that whole pageantry aspect in my brief encounter with that mm -hmm. whole world it's really tough and I, I can relate it. I actually can't even really imagine being 17 or at your age and having to have such a sense of self and an understanding of who you are because 
that's the one thing that I learned. In pageantry, you can get through almost any question, but you have to know where you stand on things. Yeah, you, you have to have an opinion. You have to have an opinion. You have to know what you actually like doing on the weekend and what yeah. you're good at and what's a funny story that happened to you once. Or, yeah. you know, you have to know your shit. And immediately. And immediately. And then you can mm. answer any question. So it's quite, it must have been really character building and it kind of makes sense as to who you are now to have gone through yeah. that at the age of 17. It's intense. It really is intense. Like I was lucky in the sense that before that my mother works for the police. So we used to move around a lot when I was younger. So I think that kind of made me used to the idea of always being the new kid on the block. So I didn't really care what people thought. And I think that helps me today as well, where it's like, even when I was in my 20s and I was traveling, it was fine being in a country by yourself. It's fine work, walking into the workspace. It's fine walking into a situation where you're going to a birthday party and you know one person because you're used to not knowing people in the room. Mm. So you kind of like realize that people are either going to like you or they're not. And there's nothing you can do about that. Mm. So you just go, oh. You just go balls to the wall. Here I am. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel as though, this is a little bit of a deep kind of divergence. Hit me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it would be out of character if we didn't go along like this sure. path. That being the new kid on the block or being used to moving around all the time and having to be adaptable because obviously you have to you have to be like a shapeshifter. You have to be mm -hmm. able to kind of fit in in any scenario. Do you think that the freedom of feeling as though you don't care what people think is because you know that you might just get up and and leave again? Like yeah. there's just no those there's no deep roots. Yeah, yeah. It's very that. It's very that, and it's also realizing that people are kind of universally the same. That I think there's about four or five different personality types that just gets regurgitated around the world. And once you realize that we're all just five liters of blood walking around trying to fuck a little along the way, <laughs> you, you realize that nothing's that serious. You know, if you mess up, it's fine. If you excel, that's even better. And no one really knows what the hell they're doing. We just all pretend that we are. So just go with it, you know. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Yeah. Do you feel like if you were in your parents' shoes that you would have done the same thing with your no. child? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's take baby steps before we put this person in front of a spotlight. <laughs> that's hysterical. Okay, that's funny. Well, I'm grateful that they did because here you are before us. <laughs> we have you here to have this conversation, which is amazing. So in terms of being in the modeling industry, for a span of 16 years wowzers that's a long time yeah that's like as old as some models are when they that's enter a full teenager yeah that's like a full entire human being that's they a full model someone yeah yeah basically yeah. and they could have now become a successful they could model. be standing here yeah that's so wild how do you feel the landscape has changed oh my god how much time do you have yeah so much so, so, so much, both on the client and the model side, things have changed a lot. I think that the breed of person that comes into the industry now has changed. I think the way that things are handled on set now has changed. Our language we use towards each, each other on set has changed now. The way the agency handles you and is allowed to, like, allowed to handle you now is a lot different. The whole industry has changed. For, for the better. 
both for good and for bad. We can see that with a lot of, um, like let's take the golden opportunity that everyone always uses or the golden example that everyone always uses, which is Victoria's Secret, mm. which is it was one of these companies that had an amazing reach and really could give someone the earth, moon and stars, but it always came at a price, you know. And even now, after the company has kind of, they haven't gone down, but they're not where they used to be, let's say 10 years ago. What do you mean by came at a price? Do you mean for the company, for the model, for the consumer? For the model, for sure. Like if you look at what those girls had to go through, where... Like they were being paid upwards of 1.5 million US dollars for those contracts. But for that, you had to be training like an athlete and be scrutinized every single day and have fucking tanning oil up your ass the whole day. Yeah. So there's a bunch of hairy situations that happen because of that. But what the opposite of that is, is that after the company's kind of been cancelled and they had to rebrand, a lot of people, despite the hairiness of it, look back at it and go, I would like to be one of those girls. And now a lot of the opportunities that people would have in the in the industry like Victoria's Secret isn't there anymore. Yeah. Like there's this girl, Natalia something. Local. No, she's an international very well known model, Natalia swimsuit, like lingerie or just like general like everything okay. girl. Uh, I'm sure we can find her name somewhere. She was uh, scouted while her and her mother were selling fruit next to the road in the Eastern Bloc Europe. And now she's one of the wealthiest women in the world. And modeling gave her that vehicle to do that, where that opportunity isn't there anymore. Where now, when you come into the industry and you're not a Nepo baby, you need to be able to go into about twenty-five to 30,000 rand of debt before your career even starts where when I started and a lot of my peers started you came in with nothing and you gained everything like for the past or I would say for the first maybe six to seven years for my career I never paid for a test shoot because we had an abundance of photographers we had an abundance of editorials clients were willing to take risks on a model that they weren't fully sure on you didn't need to have a full portfolio before you saw people you could arrive like my first images were those few images on a samsung phone mm. which is when cameras just came out because so it like was pixelized like beyond th- yeah like 2006 flip phone did not take the most <laughs> flattering photos of you let me tell you that but that started my career do you feel like the difference in terms of what you've just described as in being able to become like an overnight success or even like the supermodel era. Mm. It's one of my questions for later on, which is like, do we believe the supermodel era is over? Which I think it is, but but we can discuss that just mm-hmm. now. Do you think that the difference in terms of capacity for success and wealth is because of oversaturation, that there's just way more models or even because of the advent of things like aesthetic improvements and mm. the fact that it's way more accessible accessible for people to be beautiful i think it's such a layered topic because the one side of it is that the boy or the girl that comes in now is not the same as the one that came in previously meaning that there's a difference in work ethic with a lot of the people where 
when I came in, it was a standard for you to have a 14-hour workday. Mm. Now it's moved down to lesser hours and people complain about them as well. Um, and people are less prepared and people aren't as on it as they used to be. Um, like back then, like you would need to be so on it, like the amount of things you would have to take with you to a job to just be seen as being baseline normal. And now people arrive to set and they're not even wearing a bra. They don't even have a phone charger with them. And they're expecting the same result. Like the level of training isn't there. Um, There's so much, Mm. so much. And the thing with aesthetic as well, where people are injecting and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, that's fine. But I feel like our baseline of what we feel is what's normal and what's not normal has changed. Um, opportunity has changed social media has changed everything a lot because I always say to people that social media has put models in the seat where for the first time you are within the driving seat of your own career but unfortunately not everyone knows how to drive mm. you know like not everyone knows how to run themselves as a business and how to run themselves as a commercial product and they sometimes end up shooting themselves in the foot where with my generation it was fine because the only thing a client knew about you was what the agency told them. So the absence of information created a lure where now you need to be kind of like a unverified spokesperson for the company. Yeah, that's wild, hey, when you think about how significant social media following is and how mm-hmm. if even if you had... If you had two models next to each other, they looked almost exactly the same. Even if the one was way more skilled and talented, I think like if there was the other person had a higher social media following, then they'd yeah. get booked, you know? It makes a massive difference. Like when I was in Paris, we were, and social media was just like taking its its leap of like becoming relevant within the fashion industry. They had you sign in with your follow account before you sign in with your name. Because when they are done with the sign-ins, they would scratch out people below a certain number. So it doesn't matter what your name is or who you are, what you've, what you've done in your career, you've either got that following or you don't. Mm. And that's really changed a lot because um, things aren't always run based on skill. Yeah. So on the topic of modeling again, like and the industry itself, when I was thinking about what kind of conversations we could have around it. I was looking at like, I actually started Googling or researching, when did the concept of a model begin? Mm. And it began from what I could see, I think honestly as far back as like (coughs) the 1920s, 1940s, that far back someone designed something and they got their like wife to model it or whatever it is. It's when Vogue started with the hand-drawn illustrations and they used to draw the socialites. Mm. It's like, so I guess what I'm wondering is, do you feel like it's just human nature to idolize things? For sure. And in a weird way, because I actually researched to get a a definition of idolatry, because that's kind of how I see modeling. We have these beautiful, incredible, unattainable Mm -hmm. specimens of human of the human genome Mm. that are put on this pedestal, they're taken pictures of, they're frozen in time, they're immortalized, 
and the rest of society goes on Instagram or opens a magazine and sees these images and they're like, oh my God, you know, basically fall to their knees at the altar of this person. And like idolatry, which I was like, this is so interesting because I know we have the term like pop idols or whatever. Mm. You don't actually really think about what the term idol means. And if you think about how old that term is, like we're talking biblical, fucking Mm -hmm. people have been worshiping shit since like back in Methuselah's day. Yeah. So extreme admiration, love or reverence for something or someone. And I'm wondering like, is worshiping a human being or is this idolatry that we see ourselves in now any different from worshiping a fucking clay statue of a cow like we did back in the day? No. Yeah. I don't think it's different. I think it's the same on different scales. Um, I think that's where the concept of a stalker comes from, is someone that comes up, like someone that becomes obsessively interested in a certain subject um, because, again, they don't know much about you, you know, and because they don't know much about you, they just see this image of you. It it creates mystery and it creates a lure, and that can be very intoxicating for people, but there's no difference between the two at all, no just doesn't feel healthy but i also wonder like is it a, does it matter if it's healthy or not should we just accept that this is how we are and this is how we're always going to be and if it's not a human being then it's going to be a cow statue and if it's not yeah. a cow statue then it's going to be something else i think it's something that's within the human condition you know it's like also the human condition wanting to know that there's a higher power above it because why else are we doing this and just like the human condition wants to know that there's something to work towards, something to strive towards, something that I see myself in, something that can give me something to hold on to. And in a lot of times, in the entertainment industry becomes that. If not that, it could just be purely escapism. Okay, so we are, this is going to kind of lead into the inclusivity or exclusivity mm. conversation a bit later. But I just find that super interesting because it's almost as though how I'm thinking about it now, like human beings, we almost get hard off of the idea of being less than something. Yes. Hey, we yeah. like, this is like, yeah, I'm a it. fucking piece of shit. <laughs> like this person's way better than me. I had know? an ex like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we can't help it. Like addicted yeah. to it in a weird way. We love it. Yeah. So strange. Another question I have for you is around what makes a good model in terms of do you feel like it's like being handpicked by the gods as in just the beauty of your existence is it luck is it hard work like at this point what is it i think it's in a combination between luck talent and hard work because you need luck um like a friend of mine she works in france and um they do production and she just sent me an image of a girl that they found in the in literally a war camp in the south of Sudan. And she's in Paris now shooting for Gucci. So you need that luck. But you also need a bit of talent. Because I always say there's a difference between a model and a model. And that's where talent comes in. And it's when you look at an image and you feel like this person is looking back at you. Mm. There's just this way that you can connect with the camera. There's a way that you can speak to someone and they feel like they're the most important person in the world. There's a way that you can connect to an inanimate object like the camera. And you can work with the camera like it's a co-star instead of like a heap of 
plastic and metal mm. and then hard work because you need hard work so that you can be ready for when those opportunities do come because it's so sad when someone is sitting at the precipice of something amazing happening to them and they're not ready so you need that hard work and also this industry could be brutal like a friend of mine she was on a bikini job in the south of america and her and the photographer had the paella at lunchtime so both of them started getting the runs and she was shooting swimwear so swimwear and diarrhea don't usually go well together (laughs) (laughs) so the thing is where hard work comes in and where work ethic comes in is that after the fourth time of her running to the bathroom the client was like we got to stop this you can't do this the whole time, but we only have this day to shoot because we're all flying out the next day. So she had to dig a hole next to her, no. diarrhea in the hole, and then cover it and then continue shooting. No. And that is such a beautiful encapsulation of what the fashion industry is. And so many people have the same story. Like I was in India shooting for some catalog there and all of us were Western models. And all of us got deli belly because we weren't used to the spicy foods. And they had us sit on these podiums. And because we were so ill, they would, after a while, put buckets behind us because we couldn't break the entire time to go to the bathroom. So you would turn around, vomit in the bucket, and then vogue when you come back again. No, <laughs> so you're looking gorgeous at the front, and there's a bucket of vomit behind you. And you need that hard work and dedication within this industry of being able to push through really bad situations to remember that this industry is still very sales-based and it's based on whether you are selling a product or not and that has kind of got very little to do with you. And we need to do this now. You're actually in a, you're just like a workhorse. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it looks glamorous and I think you have these beautiful pictures of yourself, but you... It's it's almost like not even about what's in your head. Yeah. It's about your body and yeah. that thing. We're paying for this flesh <clears throat> suit and that has to mm-hmm. be there. And being able to work that body, you know, yeah. like being able to work that body like a machine. Like that's what makes really good models really good mm. is you can understand that for now I need to do this to get to the end result and then I can get to my normal life because every model has a story like that that's like super traumatic like the throwing up in a bucket behind you but realizing I cannot be here for another day because I'm flying out tomorrow and the client can't be here for for another day so let me push through all of this and get this nice image and then move on with my life and then go on to the next. It's so bad. It really sounds like I'm selling no, the everyone industry not. so well. It's going to be an influx of applications like <laughs> on models. But it's also amazing. Yeah. Like it's also incredible experiences you can have. Yeah. Like I think one of my wildest ones was we were off the coast of Hong Kong and uh, the client had a yacht there and um, – at the end of the wrap, they had like one of their friends come in with a boat next to us and we went into in- international waters and we had like a little party over there and I stood there and I was like, oh, this boat is so lame, I don't like it. And I jumped off that boat and swam to the other and got onto that one and partied over there. But in hindsight, I'm like, you swam like 30 meters within international waters without even knowing whether there's a jellyfish or a shark or a whale or anything underneath you. But that's the beauty of being 
really young mm. is you don't care and you're just like let's go and that's what i mean what's so amazing about this industry is you have the really hectic where you're vomiting and you're like having really bad experiences on set but you have fortitude and you go let's do this and then you have the amazing side of having experiences that people usually don't have okay so i'm looking at the time and i'm wondering if i should <laughs> if i should get down into the inclusivity question rather than what do you question. think about the inclusivity in our industry okay so the question that i put out there i'm gonna i'm gonna read the question that i put on instagram because mm-hmm. we got some responses which i'm also going to add into that into this thing the question was does brand inclusivity feel genuine these days and that is in reference to like plus size models racial diversity disabled people that kind of a thing or does it kind of feel like tokenism in some instances and then like what is your view on inclusivity in the fashion industry and i personally feel like i'm yet to see a campaign that feels genuine yeah my thoughts exactly yeah i don't yeah. i don't feel like it's like most of the stuff that's being put out there comes from a place of genuine like okay so the in the in the homework that i did around this mm-hmm. the answer that I, well, like some of the information that i came across was around diversity is one thing and then you have inclusivity so mm-hmm. diversity is more of a show it's like showmanship like i'm showing yeah. i have these diverse people inclusivity is how does that how does that model feel on set when they are interacting with production with the rest of the team do they feel yeah. included do they feel tokenized are there if you're an african-american if you're a, a black person are there makeup artists who are trained to do makeup properly mm-hmm. does the photographer know how to work the lighting like is there actual inclusivity outside of you just having a picture of your face on a billboard, you know? See, that's the thing is I feel like in that sense, I think inclusivity has increased. Because like when I first started, my first agent said to me, the only thing people want to hear out of your mouth is thank you, I love it. And up until then, you shut the fuck up and you sit in the corner until people call you. When now, when you're on set, people do ask you, what do you think of this photograph? What do you think of the shirt? Do you think we should change it? Like, people do want you to give more input, which is amazing. I don't know whether that's because I've known these people for so long or whether it's because it's how things changed. I know that I'm now in a seat of privilege of being treated in a certain way on set. But diversity, I feel like, has become a bit of a oh look we're doing diversity day kind of a feel because i believe that if you are truly diverse and if you are truly inclusive you wouldn't have to do an entire campaign about it yeah because you would treat it like it's any other day on set and it would be like any other shoot it's just another monday it wouldn't be let's roll out the cupcakes you know what i mean it would just be a normal day at work and for now, it doesn't feel like those shoots run like a normal day at work. Does it make sense? It does make sense. It, it does feel very as though there's a point to be proved. There's like the one thing that kind of sickens me about brands these days is just how everyone jumps on the, sa- on the same bandwagon. Yeah. You know, even having worked in marketing or in, on the other side of the spectrum where 
you are coming up with a campaign or an idea, everyone's constantly always benchmarking outside of their own brand saying Mm -hmm. we want to be like X brand who they consider to be, you know, one up above them. This has worked for them. Let's do the same. Rather than being fucking true to themselves or saying actually internally as a company, I feel as though we Mm. lack diversity and more than just trying to paint a picture of diversity, Mm -hmm. we need to have a, a, an ethic of inclusion in our, in our business as well. You know, yeah. It's just like, I feel it's a lot of jumping on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of just, oh, well, they did it. Now we have to do it. Yeah. You know? And for that reason, it just feels so disingenuous. It doesn't feel real to me. Yeah, which kind of goes against everything that the campaign would be about. So I got like two answers or I, my friend sent me a voice note. Let's hear from the readers. Yeah, let's hear from the readers. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear from the readers. So in general, the response was that no. In general, Mm. everyone was like, no, it doesn't feel genuine. But what I'm so surprised about is why do people in marketing feel that it is being genuine? If this is the consensus from so many people, Mm. where do they get their demographics from to say that it is working? It's, I think, as I said earlier, I really just think it's a matter of doing it because their competitor did it. It's like... Keeping up with the Joneses vibe. Yes. It's like, we can't not do it. Do you Mm. know what I mean? Like we have to do it because they did it. Otherwise, if we don't do it, it's like we're making a statement in the opposite direction. And we suspect if we don't. Yes. Yeah. Rather than it being like, truthfully, this is what I I back and I feel. So I got my one friend, um, well, one of my friends to reply. And basically, this is her response. She said, it depends. There's so many different perspectives I've come to find with this topic. For example, Victoria's Secret. Interesting, you mentioned them earlier. Dum, dum, dum were essentially forced into this world of inclusion, a brand that does not feel authentic. Yeah. Oh, sorry, a brand like that does not feel authentic. Yeah, because they were very like hairspray and tits all the way. And then people and were saying, gaps. we don't like that. And then they were like, okay. They basically mm. had to like close down the whole Victoria's Secret runway Yeah, they show. fired the CEO, they restructured the whole company, which is fine because that is where it comes from. I hate that when companies get into trouble, they all of a sudden just go, oh, we don't know where this comes from. Mm. There's so many hands, something has to go through before it goes to print. Anyway, they did completely restructure, but what I don't agree with is how they completely blanded out their whole company because they are now not doing size zero people. You know, like we could still do the hectic shows and the wings and the hair extensions and the push-up bras and the body glitter we could do that with people that are a size bigger we could do that with different skin tones we could do Can that I with say everyone something like de- like debatably controversial mm. and that's that on based on everything we've just said about inclusivity and how disingenuous it feels in a weird way, I almost kind of like respect that Victoria's Secret just said, well, you know what? But that's the same as Miss Universe. I'm done. Where, yeah. where Miss Universe were like, it, I think it's so funny how within the same announcement of saying, okay, we'll now allow plus size girls to enter. They also said, but, but we're no longer doing a swimsuit section. Like, could they not have separated those two announcements? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the same with Victoria's Secret, instead of going okay, well, now we're selling vests made out of t-shirting because you guys want bigger girls in it. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of feel like, look, Victoria's Secret as a specific example, if I think about when basically my entire life, like I used to have Candace Wannapal as the wallpaper on my phone Same. for many years. <laughs> and that is the most, I mean, have you seen her body? This is like outside of how much weight mm. you can lose and how many green juices you can drink and how many Pilates classes you can go to. It's a matter of physiology yeah. and her body is her body. Yeah. Probably the one of the only in the whole world that looks like that. But that's what I mean about the difference between an older generation and a younger generation model is because we don't have those girls in the industry. Do you really feel like that? We don't have as many of them yes. as we had back then. Mm. Back then, girls put a lot more work into themselves. And I'm not saying they are not putting a lot of work into themselves now. They are. It's not the same level. Yeah. Like, it's not like with the Victoria's Secret girls like Candace, who literally trains like she's an NFL athlete. Like athlete, she trains like harder than any person that I've ever witnessed. So, but do you feel like, for example, and this is what I feel like, if there was a model, and there are some, but if there if there was a model who was dedicated to their physique and their body to that degree, that they would be they would be booked. You'd be booked and busy, babe. Yeah, you would. Yeah, because the thing is, is that regardless of what trends are doing, regardless of what is in fashion at the moment, what will always be in fashion is being healthy and being happy. We always say that a happy model is a working model. And if you can keep yourself healthy and happy, you'll always work. But I don't know if that's being healthy and happy. I feel like that's looking very healthy. Like when I say healthy, it's looking a certain way. It's like mm -hmm. setting a... Training three hours a day, does that make you happy? Maybe. Maybe for some people that does. But I think yeah. generally, probably not. Like, I don't know if your whole life is dedicated to training three hours a day and you, you're eating like very confined <laughs> diets, you know. You might be happy that you're making money. Like, yeah. You're like a happy model because of that. Yeah. It's interesting because it's, it's just like, as you said, or maybe actually not as you've said, it's like no matter how inclusive mm. or how much we open the floor to mm. other people to represent brands and to to be photographed and to and to be models i think that there will always be a place for that mm. pedestal yeah on which if you're going to look like completely unattainable and as though every person's going to be like fuck yeah. what do you do like how do you work out like like those brands will always be there like the clients that are interested in those people will always be there now the majority of people are not um but the brands that do respond to that will always be there because there'll always be a more conservative client around that doesn't respond to trends but we were chatting in the office this week about uh models that came before us like with um like with cindy crawford if she walked into an agency today would she be signed or if she walked into an agency today would she work and none of us could say yes because the thing is, is that with her look specifically, first of all, she would be classed as plus size today, which is intense to even think about. Because mm. plus means different things to different to different countries. Like in South Africa, it's starting between, a, like I would say, a twelve. In Italy, it starts at a ten. In the states, it starts at a sixteen. 
in Germany, it starts at a 14. So every country has got its different way of seeing plus, but someone like Cindy Crawford would now be seen as plus. And because she would be seen as plus, she wouldn't have the opportunity of working with the clients that she did work with back mm. then, now. Mm. Because our vernacular of what we see as being attractive and attainable and uh, sellable and something that is high in demand and something that reflects the zeitgeist of society has changed so mm. much so i'm just gonna finish reading this thing because i feel like i just want to do it justice by yeah. like so okay um for example victoria's secret were, were essentially forced into this world of inclusion a brand like that does not feel authentic no matter how hard they try however a brand like fenty to me is the epitome of inclusion from jump mm. not for clout but because we are all so different and there's no ideal type of person and every time since its launch, I come across their ads, it's always someone different. And for groups of people who have been excluded for so long, it's honestly amazing to see. But again, this is all contextual, but those two examples yeah. are the first ones that come to mind. I think you can definitely tell, especially over the last five years or, years or so, brands and companies who do it for tokenism versus being truly authentic. Mm. Which Fenty really made their mark because of that, because they launched as something completely in inclusive in an incredible way both within their lingerie and their foundations, which was incredible. The amount of shades they have is astounding. I think for a fashion company, it's really difficult to do that. Mm. Um, if you just th think about a startup right now, if you want to do a t-shirt brand and you have, let's say, four colors, right? And you need to do the those four colors in, let's say, six sizes. You haven't sold anything. And I think for a startup, that's really difficult. So I think what helped with Fenty a lot was that they had a lot of seed capital. And I think what makes it so polarizing with a company like Victoria's Secret is because they had such a long history of not being inclusive. And what I feel really bad for with them is that there's really nothing they could have done. They got into that point of you've had such a polarizing side that for you to try and swing to the other side of the pendulum is so far for you to satisfy what people are looking for, that it's coming from an old school way of marketing. And for those people to like get into their heads how far to the other side they need to go is impossible. We would have never been happy with it. We would never have been happy with it, but I also feel like people in a weird way maybe expected it. Mm. You know, like you get like social warriors or people might have looked at this company and yeah. been like, you better fucking get on board. We needed someone to burn. At the stake. We did. And you know what? Like, And I'm happy they did. I'm, I'm happy not saying they did. that it was like a... No, like more than burning. I think in a in like a bit of a weird, like <clears throat> roundabout way. And I think this comments on like our, our natural, I don't know, was it sadism, masochism? Mm. You know, like self-flagellation. Yeah. And our a tendency towards that. Every hero needs a villain. Like every hero needs a, needs a villain, but also just in terms of my the way that i idolized those models the way that yeah. i looked at them and i was like holy fuck candace vonnepool like yeah. and on and on and on the list goes like you know all these beautiful models and if if i if they had been extremely mm. inclusive you know judge me or not for saying this i would have been like what the fuck do you know what i mean like mm. i know that that sounds fucked up but i think it's just like I would have been like, no, man, what the fuck? Because in a weird way, I kind of liked the fact that I always felt like I was 
chasing something that would like yeah. never be. But I think that also means that we are from an older generation. Yeah, you know, that's like, true. We see stuff like that as being aspirational. Yes. And we see Candace up there and we're like, you know what? If this fucking girl can do it, I can do it. Yes. I'm going to look like that. And you see it as being something that you want to work towards where a younger generation sees it as if this doesn't reflect me, I don't want it. Like this has to reflect me or someone that I know for me to associate with it. Where we go, I need something that showcases what I could be. Like I need to just change. Yeah, I just need to change everything about myself. (laughs) Funny thing about Candice, she was a working model within Cape Town for years before she went over to New York. She was a brunette here of like just a normal average working model. She went to her agency in Cape Town. I'm not going to mention who it is. Um, and she asked them, I need to borrow 120,000 Rand from you because my manager at the time, who I'm also not going to mention, is going to take me to New York. And they were like, okay. And they gave her the money and she went over to New York and she got herself a trainer and she paid him up front and she was like, I'm going to fucking do this. And this is why I'm so obsessed with this because she was like, I'm going to do this. She trained a little hard out. He like pulled some strings and connections for her to become the fitting model at Victoria's Secret. And she was there for two years until they eventually absorbed her into being in the show. And she's never come back. Never. But what I think is amazing is that sometimes you know what you can achieve Mm. more than what other people know you can achieve. And you know where your ceiling is, even if other people don't see it for you. And she, to me, is such a big example of that, of going like, you know what? Working for these local brands is not enough for me. I know if I put myself in a bigger pool with bigger opportunities and I work my little ass off, I can do it. And then she went and she did it. And I think it's amazing. Huge Candice one full pat, full pat, pat this podcast is now dedicated to to Candice (laughs) but what was the second answer you got so the second well I actually got a few but I've I got two kind of lengthy ones that I thought I would include and the second one is from a friend of mine as well and she said that she sent me a voice note so I'm not gonna like Mm. regurgitate the entire two minute long voice note but in theory or in essence to deduce it down she says that the fashion industry will always be exclusive as far as she's seen it yeah it's designed to create exclusivity no matter the new trend in the market at the time they are there to create a gap to make someone feel like they need to buy into feeling like they're a part of something exclusive so and i found like that's such an interesting perspective on it because even if you like even if you are Fenty okay Mm -hmm. and you have a a type of model from every single color shape like Mm -hmm. anything you can imagine we have a model Fenty as a brand still is an exclusive brand and even within saying that like they have a model to represent everything yes but that doesn't mean that they have so-and-so that works at the shop there around the corner from your house, so-and-so-and-so. It's still the exception within that bracket. Mm. You know what I mean? And I totally agree with that, where they, like, it'll always be these pinnacle examples of whatever category you want to put people in. Yeah, it always creates the... I guess that's like the whole concept of capitalism, or at least specifically sure. the fashion industry. It's always creating the sense of, I need to buy into something. Mm-hmm. Because... 
if I'm now like, for example, if I own Fenty and you are using Mac yeah. or whatever else, like Ugh. Essence, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> then I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a different bracket to you. Yeah. Even if you and I are both the minority of the minority of the minority True. of person, it'll still be a feeling of, yeah, like there's something that you kind of need to aspire or like level up to mm-hmm. or, yeah, try and attain. I think it would, it's what drives the human race forward, you know, like wanting better, wanting more, wanting all of those things. Yeah. And the fashion industry is just one aspect of that. And I think the fashion industry is just easy, easy to shoot at because it's way more visible than the others. It's very in your face, hey? Okay, so we're going to wrap it up, I think. And the closing statements that you could maybe touch on. Mm-hmm. First one is the thing you're most grateful for. I think I'm most grateful for... I've always had amazing women in my life. Always. My entire career. Like when I started in the industry and there were a bunch of brands that didn't want to work with me that were, they were an amazing group of women around me. They were like, we don't give a hell. We are going to work with you and we're going to force you down people's throats. And I had an amazing agent that believed in me so much. And it's like just realizing from a young age that your career is all about having a really solid support structure. And you are just the pinnacle of like a bunch of hard work underneath you and like relying on that and trusting them with that and not trying to micromanage them and going, I know you're amazing. I just need to let you do your job and I just need to do my job when I need to do my job. But I've always been supported by amazing women in my life. Yeah, love them. Okay, and then I guess the last thing is like any life advice or is there anything else that you would like to add like in closing? I think for anyone out there and for any career out there really, I think it's important to realize that magic things happen when talent and hard work meet each other halfway where you can be really talented, you can be a really talented runner and not work at it a lot and you won't get as far as the person that is maybe not as talented, but they work it every day. You don't always need need to be the best, but you can always decide how far you're going to go. And our industry is such an example of that, where our industry will always reward hard work and will always reward you for as much work you put into it, you're always going to get out. So, you know, on those days you don't feel like it, just don't make it such a big deal just do it anyway just do it don't think about it just do it yeah well thank you so much for coming Mars. thank you yay thank you the time is flown i know we will we will now that we've broken the ice yeah this was so much fun yay i'm so glad thank you everyone for listening and you can join me every wednesday for a new episode If you enjoy this podcast, please will you follow me on Spotify? Please will you share it to your Instagram story? Please will you WhatsApp it to your grandfather and your granny (laughs) and anyone who would please lend me their ears? I would love to expand my audience and to just, yeah, like put some of these good vibes out there into the universe. In addition to that, if you did enjoy this podcast, please will you rate my podcast on Spotify. I would also highly appreciate that. Did I say rate or did I say follow? Rate. Rate the first time. Yes. Did I say rate twice? Good girl. Okay, so. Do you follow it as well? Follow it. Follow it. 
in addition is that to that, when you add it to list yes. with a little plus sign. Yes. All right. So if you go onto your Spotify account, mm-hmm. you can underneath the profile picture of my podcast select to follow it, which just means that I know that I have someone else following me. <laughs> because I need external validation. But more than that, that you will get a notification of any episodes as and when they are released. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.